For those of you guys who are new, we've been in a semester-long series in the book of Ephesians talking about what it looks like to live a Christian life. So you guys are welcome to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. We're going to pick up there in a minute. Last week, Josh talked on the first half of this chapter in Ephesians 4. We talked about what unity and maturity in the body of Christ looks like. We see what God's design is for unity for you and for me. And as we've been reading, and like I said, for any of you who are new, Ephesians is really about what it looks like to live a Christian life. When we've been transformed by Christ, and when we've come into an understanding of who he is, our lives are transformed. And so Ephesians is really written to a church of people who are just learning what it's like to live as Christians and as believers in Christ and how that informs our actions. So last week we talked about what we do for each other once we're in that body of Christ. We carry each other's burdens. We stand with each other. And we ended with a great time of prayer together and unity in the body of Christ. And when we're talking about unity, I think it's also important to think about this concept, this idea of harmony as well. And I think they both go hand in hand you guys probably know a harmony is, especially musically, when you have multiple different parts, but they come together to form one beautiful sound, one whole perfect sound, right? And it means like to, to harmonize means to come into agreement. I think that's what the body of Christ looks like, that unity doesn't always mean that everything is exactly the same, but it means that we might not have the same personalities or likes, dislikes, preferences, gifts, talents. We might not look the same, but this diversity in the kingdom comes into one unified body. And that's what we see in Scripture. We saw in Ephesians 4. We see it also in 1 Corinthians 12 as it talks about the body of Christ and how we each play different roles. So like, you know, the hand in your body can't say to your foot, hey, I don't need you. Or the eye doesn't say to the ear, I don't need you. They're just different parts that all function and have a, a role to play, but, but make one cohesive body. And so that's what we're looking at in Ephesians as we're talking about this unified body. But Lord knows that um, it's really easy that when you're part of a body, it's really easy for conflict to arise. Um, Josh shared his experience last week with sisters. I get to share mine this week with sisters. Do any of you guys have sisters? Any of you guys who are girls who have sisters, I just think that's kind of worse. <laughs> um, if, if my sister is listening on the podcast, which she probably is not, but if she is, um, she would agree. Because sisters, we, like, fighting is really constant. Conflict is constant when you have sisters. I only have one sibling, and, and obviously she's a sister. And so I love her. She's um, my closest friend. Um, we, we've, we've had our fair share of fights, and they're often about things that are just, that don't make any sense, right? Like, um, who gets to drive, ride in the front seat of the car was a, a really regular one. Then once we could drive, who gets to actually drive the car was the other one. Um, she was always borrowing my clothes. Um, and, th and then, like, does this ever happen to you where you walked out in the morning and you just happened to be wearing outfits that looked very similar? And so then there's a fight about who has to change. <laughs> there's like snaps. Everyone's like, yep, that happened. Like you would fight about what show we watched or, you know, who gets to do what. I mean, we fought all the time. And then it would always resort to just saying mean things about each other that like had nothing to do with the argument that we were having. 
So like, you know, for example, we'd be like, you just sat in the front seat yesterday, and you're like, well, your hair looks ugly today. And you're like. Um, and then she'd, she'd do the deed, and you guys probably have experienced this, where she'd yell for mom. And let me clarify, and again, if she were listening to the podcast, which she probably isn't, but if she were, um, she would agree, I never called for my mom. My sister was the one who always called for mom. And I'm like, you're ruining a perfectly good fight. Like, <laughs> we're doing fine, we'll figure it out. But then you bring mom into it, and it's like, everything's just downhill from there. And we both get in trouble. Like, I just didn't really understand why every time she would do that, because we always, like, it always proves, like, mom's going to make things worse. We both get in trouble, you know. And this true story, my, my sister would very often, when we were fighting, yell for my mom when my mom wasn't home. I like, would be fighting, and she'd yell, Mom, and I was like, like, that happened multiple times. That's just little sisters for you. Um, all my older sisters, you know. Nobody? Wow, okay. You guys are all little sisters, I guess. Um, in Ephesians, this next part of chapter 4, we see what, how we respond when conflict arises. Conflict is inevitable, it's normal, it comes up. But the question is, okay, how do we respond to it? And we pick up in Ephesians 4, chapter, or verse 17. You can follow along with me in your Bibles or along on the screen, and we're going to dive right into it. Ephesians 4, verse 17, it says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We're just going to pause for one second as we talk about this first part of this passage. We've been talking throughout this semester, and especially in chapter 2, if you remember, this idea of an old self and a new self. So when we're transformed into the image of God, when we've accepted him as our savior, we transform and we're made alive in Christ. We're dead to sin, we're dead in our own selves, and we were made alive in Christ. And that's what Paul is talking about here. In our old way of life, in our dead self, we did these things. This is kind of what our life looked like. We are dead in sin, but now in our new life, this is how we respond. And so now that we're a new creation in Christ, the rest of this chapter is about what we may have done in our sinful selves And what are we replacing that with? How do we respond as followers of Christ? So let's jump back in verse 25. It says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, 
and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So what we see from these verses is that this passage is about solving conflict in a godly way, in a healthy way. It doesn't say that conflict isn't going to happen. It doesn't say that we won't have to deal with it. It just tells us the things not to do, and then it tells us what things to do when it arises. Before we dive into that specifically, I do want to point out that um, as we've been talking about, and I kind of keep pointing back to what we've been talking about this semester, but specifically in chapter two, but throughout these, these verses we've seen um, this existence of an enemy, this existence of Satan. Uh, Ephesians refers to him as the prince of the power of the air or the, the ruler um, of the kingdom of the air. So I think one of the, the biggest ways that this enemy, that the enemy gets at us is from within. This is how he affects our, our outside world because when the church isn't functioning inside, We're not able to do our job, and our job is to spread the good news, it's to share the love of Christ, and when we're not unified in here, then of course we're not going to be able to do what we've we've been called to do, so why wouldn't the enemy want to attack us from within? And so as we talk about unity, I think it's important that we, um, when we experience conflict, we, we need to recognize who, what is causing this conflict. We can't let it fester, let it grow, we have to Take it seriously because um, if we don't deal with it in a healthy way, the enemy wins. And so as we're talking about this, this isn't all just to be convicting, but it's to say, hey, let's keep the enemy from coming in, from taking us from within. And so as we we deal with these things, we're, we're keeping that in mind. So first in this chapter, what we see is that Paul is talking about the old self, so things that we, we used to do or things that shouldn't be or, or aren't in a unified church. And so I have a list of a couple things that we see in this chapter. Number one, what a unified church shouldn't or doesn't have is malice, bitterness, and brawling. So if you look at verse um, verse 31, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Malice is, is just simply hatred, or it's desiring ill will of someone, or to do evil to someone. It, it means um, holding grudges. And when it talks about brawling, it's this idea of constant fighting or disagreements, divisiveness within the community. We all know these people, right, that it's just kind of in their nature to just be divisive or to instigate fights just to to ruffle feathers and pick fights just because. Some people do it just kind of for fun, just think it's a a funny thing to do, and some people, like, it's just, like, in their nature to just always be looking for the things that don't sit well with them instead of looking towards the positive things first. Or or this idea of playing devil's advocate. Blaine used to always say, um, used to, I act like he's, like, dead and gone. Um, He probably still would say this. Um, (laughs) <laughs> wow, yeah, I can't come back from that. Okay, um, Blaine still would say that the devil doesn't need us to advocate for him. He doesn't need any advocates. We don't need to play devil's advocate. Instigating disagreements is against the very nature of a unified church, of a unified 
body. And when we're, we're prone to disagreements, when we're prone to disunity, when we're prone to um, divisiveness, we're not actually desiring unity or positivity in our community or love for one another. We're actually desiring separation um, or desiring someone else's discomfort. And so the first thing that, that Ephesians is telling us that a unified church doesn't have is this malice, bitterness, and brawling. The second thing we see in in verse 28, that a, something that uh, a unified church shouldn't have is also selfishness. Verse 28 says, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Selfishness is any deceitful desires. It's, it's me looking out for myself and my good and what's best for me without consideration of those around me. When we're part of a greater body, it's no longer just about ourselves. Like I can't just be thinking about myself. Verse 28 talks about um, now sharing with others, giving to others, no longer stealing and making it about me. So when we're living in unity, unity does not, does not grow from selfishness. The third thing that's not part of a unified church is unwholesome talk and slander. Verse 29, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Really simply, this is gossip. And I think this is one of the hardest ones in community, and it's been a struggle of mine. Like, I'm not leaving myself out of this. Gossip is really hard. And the lines are, are, are really easy to, to blend and to cross over. For example, like, it's really easy to say, oh, well, I'm just processing. I'm just, I, I'm just talking through this. I just need to, to process this with somebody. And really soon that becomes gossip. What gossip is, it's anything that results in others thinking less of someone. It's hurtful speech. It's hurting someone's reputation. The Proverbs talk a lot about gossip throughout the whole book, um, as we see also throughout the rest of Scripture, but just a couple, just to, to rattle off Proverbs 10, 18, and 19, it says, whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Chapter 11, verse 9 says, with their mouths the godless destroy their neighbors, but through knowledge the righteous escape. In Proverbs 16, verse 28, it says, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. Chapter 17, verse 9 says, whoever would foster love covers an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. And it goes on and on, and there's multiple verses about gossip because I think this is really one of the, the major ways that the enemy tries to get in is through gossip, is through um, saying negative things about others. And a lot of it feels warranted because we've maybe felt hurt or were annoyed by something or someone did something wrong. But this chapter, what it's saying is any unwholesome talk that leads anyone to think less of someone, doesn't build them up, that's not of God. That's part of our old self. That's not part of a unified church. And the fourth thing is anger and rage. Verses 26 and 27, they say, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. 
I think this is the thing that results in the first three things. That so much um, we're filled with anger over something or someone wronging us or just a, an issue that, and some of it can be really righteous anger, but we respond in these ways. This chapter talks about, okay, how do we manage that anger? What do we do about that anger that we feel? When we're quick to anger, our tendency and our hearts are not leaning toward, leaning into loving people. We talk a lot about this idea of giving people the benefit of the doubt, believing the best in someone before you even know what's going on, believing um, they're good. That's what, what giving the benefit of the doubt is. When, we're, when we are quick to anger, I think we often lack humility because it really becomes a lot about what someone else is doing wrong or how they've wronged me. It's never about me or maybe what I've done wrong. I think we, we really lack humility when we're quick to anger. It's just so easy to fall into that. Verse 27 talks about how when we are quick to anger and when we let the sun set on our anger, it gives the devil a foothold, as we talked about this enemy, this real enemy that comes from within. When we, when we let the sun set on our anger, the, the, it, it opens the door for the enemy to come in, for the devil to come in, so that anger festers, that it grows, and that it continues and gets bigger and bigger and becomes bigger conflict and bigger disagreements and results in malice and selfishness and gossip. Did any of you guys um, finish binging Stranger Things 2 this past weekend? Wow, neither did I. Um, don't worry, I won't give anything away, just obviously that 11 is dead, but you guys already knew that. Um, I'm just kidding, guys. Wow, no one watches Stranger Things, okay. Um, just kidding, guys. Uh, I can't confirm nor deny that she's dead, but um, just kidding again. Let me just say, though, before I really go into where this is connected, um, this season's much scarier than the first one. Does no one watch it? Okay, okay. I'm like, come on, guys. I was late to the game, but then I watched all nine episodes in three days. Anyway, it, it's much scarier. I need to turn the volume way down. Like, on my TV, the natural, like, the normal level to watch a show is, like, 18. It's usually down to three for, like, three-fourths of the episode. All the lights in my apartment are turned on. Like, anyway, that's not related. Um, without giving anything away, there, there is an episode where one of the characters learns about this word fester and really what it means. And that letting anger fester and build up inside of them um, isn't healthy. It leads to, to a lot of negative things, and things get worse when the anger festers. But then they find out when they, when they channel that anger in a healthy way, in a good way, they actually are, are much healthier. They're much more powerful. Um, it's a much poor, more productive use of that anger. Uh, another um, TV example, my favorite movie of all time is Little Women. Um, followed closely by Pan's Labyrinth and Wonder Woman recently. Um, also unrelated. But this is actually all full circle because Winona Ryder is in Stranger Things and is also the main character in Little Women. So, you know, 
Um, anyway, she, she has this giant fight with her sister in the story, like sisters, you know. And the, the mom says to her, says this very verse, says, don't let the sun go down upon your anger. Forgive each other. See, anger is, is just so divisive, and it's against the very nature of God. We see countless verses about God's character. And in Psalm 86, verse 15, it says that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And if we believe that this is what God's character is and who he is, then I think we're called to be slow to anger. These are all the, the things that we see in this chapter, at least, that a unified church shouldn't have. What our old self before Christ would do, what our tendency was, what we would lean into. But what we see in this chapter, and I think we'll start to see as well in chapter 5 next week, is that when there's sin that needs to be taken out, God always replaces it with something good. And so I think there's a second part to this. With, with the new self, okay, what do we replace it with? How do we respond to conflict? When I'm writing sermons, I make a lot of, um, like, the scriptural connections based on um, songs that we made up in, like, elementary school, Sunday school, that, like, help us memorize verses. Um, so I'm, like, thinking about a verse, and I'm like, oh, what's the reference? I'll just sing the song in my head. So there's this one song that I started singing this week as I was um, it's a beautiful song. Um, it goes, we love because he first loved us. Oh, wait, no, that's a different one. The, I, know, I know a lot, guys. No, this one's be kind one to another, and I'm like, okay, this is great. What's the, what's the reference? Let's get to the end of the song. Ephesians 4 and 32. That's not helpful because it is in Ephesians 4, um, so it doesn't connect to anything else, but I think we see um, that the, the answer is right there in Ephesians 4.32. The reason I was confused is it was in King James Version, so no one reads that anymore. <laughs> Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So number one, when, when we are experiencing, our old self would experience this malice, bitterness, and brawling, what that turns into, what our new response is compassion and kindness is number one. We are kind to one another. We're loving one another. Our actions are loving. Everything we do is out of love toward one another. It means putting people ahead of ourselves, considering others in our decisions and in our actions. Another song that I just sang um, the other profound song, we love because he first loved us, we love because he first loved us, we loved because he first loved us, First John 4.19. 1 John 4.19, it says, we love because he first loved us. And in 20 and 21, it says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. We love because God first loved us. So one, we replace malice, we replace hatred with compassion and kindness. Number two, our old self would operate in a, an attitude of selfishness. Our new self should operate, a unified church operates in generosity and in empathy. Philippians 2, 3 through 4, which I don't have a cute song for, unfortunately. 
It just says that in humility, we, we consider or we value others above ourselves. We consider them higher than us and that we look towards the interest of others and not our own. Verse 28, it talks about sharing with those who are in need. Instead of stealing like we used to do, instead we're going to give away. We're going to sacrifice for others. We're going to use the work of our own hands, our own skills to give to others, to share to those in need. That's how you replace that old self of selfishness with generosity and empathy. Third, as our old self would would operate in this world of unwholesome talk and gossip and slander, what this now has turned into in the new self is affirmation and constructive speech. Affirmation has an amazing power that is almost unexplainable. My pastor at NCC, Pastor Jeremy, he's really good at this, where he'll just, every couple of weeks he'll send me a text, and I assume he does this to a lot of people, and he'll just be like, hey, Natalie, praying for you today, love you, grateful for you and for your leadership, really appreciate you. My friend Dan, who I used to lead worship with, he would do the same thing, where he'd say, hey, you did great last Sunday, or I love seeing you grow in your worship leadership, or really grateful to have you be part of the team. These texts that I would get every couple of weeks, they just brought so much encouragement. Affirmation is calling out people's strengths instead of their weaknesses. Blaine also says and continues to say because he's alive. He's, now, Blaine definitely listens to the podcast, so. He, and I, I think he also got this from someone else who I don't know, but he talks about putting a 10 on someone's head for them. Like, if, if someone tells you you're worthless, you probably will act in a way and feel in a way that you're worthless. But if someone says you're a 10, we find that people rise to the occasion, to the number that you put on their head. They rise up. That's what affirmation is all about. It's also about bragging behind people's backs. I want to be better at that, that when Josh isn't in the room, that I'm saying good things about Josh, because I don't need him to be there to hear it. I need other people to hear good things about Josh. It means building people up instead of bringing them down. That's what affirmation is. Here at AU Chi Alpha, we, we strive to be a community of affirmation. Some of you guys have, have experienced this in your small group or are about to in a couple weeks, and it literally, like, we spend weeks in small group, um, one week going around affirming every person and the strengths that they have. And yeah, it's a little awkward. Sometimes it's weird. Sometimes it feels a little cultish. But I always left. <laughs> you guys have all thought that, though, you know. But I left all four years when I was a student going through affirmations, leaving that, that room and thinking, man, I feel really encouraged. People feel this way about me. And it didn't really puff me up. It, it made me want to be that. It made me want to act that way. It made me want to respond in that way. What would happen if in our community affirmation were the default? Number four, instead of anger and rage, we replace that with forgiveness. We're going to land on this one just for just a moment because I think this is a really hard one. This is an area that I've struggled in. I think that's probably a lot of people's stories. Forgiveness is really hard. A little while back, I did some research on and some studying up on forgiveness because it was just an area in my life that I needed to grow and needed to pray about. And I discovered a few things as I was reading through scriptures and reading some blog posts. And here's a couple of things that I, I had seen. One is that 
Yes, forgiveness releases the person, the offender, so that God can do his work in them, that he can bring the conviction, bring, um, be the judge in the situation. He can bring the change. Forgiveness feels really unfair when we're the ones who have been hurt, especially if someone never apologizes or asks for forgiveness. It's really difficult. But when we don't forgive, we're telling God that we're in control of the situation. We're saying, hey, God, we've got it. You don't have to worry about that. That's how God sees it when we don't forgive. We become the God of our own lives. And I think when we don't forgive, we're not trusting God to be good and who he says he is in Scripture, that he's a God of justice, that he's a good God, a loving God. Another thing that we see about forgiveness is that when we forgive, we not only are helping those who have to be forgiven, but we're helping ourselves. Unforgiveness blocks things. It, it affects our closeness with God. It kind of gets in the way of our interactions with him, our fellowship with him. And when we forgive, it releases God to be able to do his work in me. We allow him to do his work in us when we don't let someone block what God's wanting to do. We see this freely flowing fellowship with the Lord and with the Holy Spirit when we forgive others because we've given them up to him and we've given control to him. And as we see in Ephesians 4, it keeps Satan from getting a foothold. It closes a door and says, hey, you're not welcome in here. That's what happens when we forgive. And a final thing about forgiveness is that it takes making a decision. You're never going to feel ready to forgive. You're not going to be like, all right, you know what, I'm good. Now I can forgive. That doesn't happen. Forgiving someone means taking that step and forgiving someone even when you don't feel it, even when you don't want to. It's not about collecting debts. That's not what any of this is about. We see this in Scripture in in Matthew, the parable of um, the ungrateful servant who his debts are all forgiven. It's like millions of dollars, and then he won't forgive someone a $100 debt. Like, it's not about collecting debts. It's actually about making the decision to forgive those debts. And this is whether that, that offender asks for it or not. Very often the offender doesn't. But we're still called to a life of forgiveness. Let's read verse 32 again. It says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgive, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I think there's humility in knowing that Christ forgave us first for a far greater wrong. He forgave us of far greater sins than anyone has done to us, and I think we need to understand that and recognize that. And As I said and saying before, we love because he first loved us. We forgive because he forgave us first. He's our perfect example for what that looks like because he did it for us. And if he did it for us, how much easier should it be for us to do it? For those around us. The band can come up and we're going to begin to close as we talk about, okay, how does this apply to our lives? I think all of this has been really practical. We're just going verse by verse saying, okay, what does the Lord say? What does Christian living mean? At the end of the chapter, we see that 
if we don't respond to conflict in a healthy way, we grieve the Holy Spirit. It says we grieve the Holy Spirit, and I think the thing about this is that it just breaks his heart. He's sad for us. And I think this says a lot about the heart of God. That when we don't live in unity, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It breaks his heart. This says a lot about his desires for us, what he's invested in, his interests, what he's designed for us. It's for us to love each other well and to be in community and to experience the love that he's shown us first. To experience the forgiveness that he's shown us first. See, this all, it it becomes about allowing or not allowing his work in us and in our community by the way that we respond to each other. My question for us tonight is this, what what does our community look like? I think in a lot of these areas, we we might be pretty good. Um, I think that's great. I think that I'm I'm grateful for a community that knows a, a lot of these areas already. But let's search our hearts. Like, how do we respond when conflict comes up? Do we respond in kindness, in generosity, in empathy, in affirmation, in forgiveness? Now, my sister and I have had our fair share of fights, but she's also my closest friend. We text every day, mostly about the Bills, who I take back what I said at the beginning of the semester. They're actually doing great this, this season. When we don't live in unity, it affects our witness. As we talked a couple of weeks ago about evangelism and about missions, like we are called as the body of Christ to share the love that he's shared with us. Share this message of salvation with others. But when we are not unified together, we can't do that well. We can't do that effectively because we're not loving each other. In Matthew, it says that that they will know us by the way that we love one another. They'll know that we are Jesus' disciples by the way that we love one another in this room. And that doesn't mean there's not conflict, like I said. It doesn't mean that things don't come up. But do we love each other through that, in the midst of that? Is that how we respond to each other? I just want you guys to to listen in here because I think this is really important. Um, And we'll, we'll close in a few minutes and like we normally do with some time of worship. But listen in here. Um, people are going to hurt us. They're going to offend us. They're going to anger us. We're going to be annoyed by people. They're going to say some awful things. They're going to do it in the name of Christianity very often. They may and probably won't ever come to apologize or even realize what they've done. God never tells us that that's going to change. But he does say that we must change. He does say the way that we respond matters. We aren't responsible for them. We're not responsible for the people who have offended us, but we are responsible for our response. How I respond to those who have hurt me, that's on me, and that's what God sees. And that seems like a really big burden to carry, but honestly, it provides so much freedom. It's for our good. As all of these rules, all of these things that we see in Scripture, it's for our good and it's for our joy. It's for our freedom. So would you guys stand with me tonight? 
what does this look like for you right now? Maybe this week there are some areas where you're, that the Holy Spirit is stirring in you, okay, I need to, to do something about this. I need to respond in some way. Maybe there's some apologies that, that you need to make. Maybe you need to just be more, um, more aware of, of gossip and what you say about others. Maybe you want, you want to step out and act in, in, in this area of affirmation. How, how amazing, how cool would it be if this week all of our phones were just like getting lit up with, by our friends being like, hey, I love the way that you lead small group. Like, it's really meant a lot to me. Hey, thanks for being such a good friend to me. Hey, you know, Lori, I love seeing you lead worship, you help usher me into the presence of God. Like, what if we were getting these texts and giving these texts to people throughout this week? How cool would that be to have a, a community full of people who are just encouraging one another? Maybe that's also bragging behind people's backs. Maybe you just need to say some good things about people when they're not in the room. And then lastly, maybe the, what feels like the hardest thing for a lot of us is maybe in our heart we just need to forgive we need to forgive people who have wronged us. I, I wouldn't say, like, go up to the person and be like, hey, I forgive you even though you've never apologized. Don't do that. That's not good. But, I, but in your heart, I think that we need that freedom to be able to forgive in our heart even if the person never realizes, never apologizes. So maybe there are people that you need to tonight just lay down at the altar so that God can take control of that, that God can bring freedom. And if you feel like you've been far from God's presence or far from an understanding of him or being with him, I would just ask you to examine your hearts. Is, is there anywhere in, in this list of things, like are there things here that are unresolved that the Lord needs to work in? Would you examine your heart in that? I really believe that we could be a community that models what unity looks like to the rest of the world. I think that's part of our witness. It's part of our, our mission is to share what true unity looks like. And we won't see that out there until it's here. So tonight, as you examine what the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you, there's going to be some, like usual staff, some students on the side to pray with you. And maybe you want to pray with someone or maybe you want to come fill out a prayer card or just spend some time at the altar. Maybe just in your seat, stand and worship God for who he is. Tonight, when we, we examine what it looks like to be a community truly living after Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for the ways that you move and the freedom that you give us and the life that you've given us through your son, Jesus. God, we recognize that it's not of anything that we've deserved or anything of our own. God, tonight, in response to that salvation that we've received and that grace we've received and that forgiveness we've received, would you allow us to love others better? Would this room be an example of what unity looks like? Unity in the body of Christ and unity to the rest of the world. Lord, would you stir up in our hearts any area that we're struggling we're not doing well, that maybe we've missed the mark, God. You don't come down. You don't yell at us. You don't scold us. You gently call us closer to you. God, tonight, would you whisper to us what you have for us and what you're calling us to? Lord, tonight, I just pray in this room, you provide freedom. 
Would you provide freedom in relationships? God, God, bring us into a, a greater understanding of who you are, a greater understanding of your love for us. Jesus, in everything, in all of these things that we do, in these ways that we try to, to come closer to you and to please you, God, in everything, Lord, would you just be glorified for it? Would this be for you, for your glory, and for your name? And I pray this in your name.